in the story of Solomon, you see late in life, he seems to lose focus. He seems to lose initiative and he falls away from the Lord. This guy literally just, just disobeys for a moment. And so we use the, I challenge our, our folks around here with, Hey, take a day off, get mauled by a lion. Welcome to No Sanity Required, from the ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Excited to share with you uh, part two of, of uh, the, last, the last episode, where we looked at Solomon's life, learned some lessons from Solomon, and we were talking about, uh, at the, in the intro to that episode, we are talking about a saying that we use at, at, at Snowbird a lot, and the saying is, take a day off, get eaten by a lion. That's in air quotes. Take a day off, get eaten by a lion. And where that comes from is a story in 1 Kings chapters 12 and 13, specifically chapter 13, where, uh, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it in this episode. But the idea is no days off in the Christian life, no days off. We don't get to take a break. There's, I think uh, we, we literally, every single day when our feet hit the floor, we are at war spiritually. And so every day we've got to fight. There's no days off. If you can imagine uh, talk to a combat veteran who has spent extended periods of time in a in a dangerous combat zone. You don't you you can't take time off. You can't relax. You've got to stay focused and you've got to stay vigilant. And it's like that in the spiritual life. And so, I want to I want to look at a guy named Jeroboam. A little background: When all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they summoned him to the assembly and made him king over all of Israel. No one followed the house of David except the tribe of Judah alone. So David was king in the early part of his um, story. He's the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, but if you can imagine, it's a divided kingdom. There are ten states to the north that recognize another king during David's early tenure. And eventually, after some civil war, the kingdom unites, and David becomes king over all. Now, David's grandson has inherited the southern kingdom, but another man has risen to the throne of the northern kingdom, the, the, the ten states, ten tribes in the northern kingdom. And so this guy's name is Jeroboam. And Jeroboam has a predicament. His predicament is this. He knows that, that nationalists in Israel recognize Jerusalem as the religious capital of Israel. Okay, so why is that important? Well, Jerusalem is in the southern state of Judah. And so the capital of Judah is Jerusalem. This guy, Jeroboam, is ruling the 10 northern states, but he is not ruling Judah. So he is not the recognized king of the southern kingdom of Judah, where the religious center takes place. And so he's concerned that all the people in his in his country that he's ruling over are going to travel to Jerusalem to go worship Yahweh and that in that process he might lose their loyalty and they'll turn to follow the southern king whose name happens to be Rehoboam and he's the grandson of David. So he's he's like, "Man, I've got to figure out a way to keep people from going to Judah. I don't want them to go down there and have some like religious experience and get all sappy and loyal to Yahweh. And then they leave me and they start following this other King. So he wants to keep the kingdom divided. And so he comes up with a plan. The plan is to create a like places of worship in the Northern kingdom that will keep the people from traveling to the Southern kingdom. And the, this, this is how he does it. It's crazy. He made two, then he, this is in uh first Kings chapter 12, verse 28. 
So the king sought advice. Then he made two golden calves, and he said to the people, quote, going to Jerusalem is too difficult for you. Israel, here are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt, uh, unquote. So he makes two golden calves, and he tells the, he tells the Israelites, you should worship these guys, these, these, these baby cows fashioned and carved from gold. It's just like almost unbelievable. It's almost laughable. But you have to know that the Israelite history sort of supports them leaning this way. It's crazy, but as crazy as it sounds to us. So he sets one up in Bethel, put the other in Dan. So he takes these two golden caps, puts them in two places in the northern kingdom, says to the people, don't travel down to Judah. Don't go to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple that Solomon built to worship Yahweh. Stay here and worship, and here is Yahweh. Here, these these golden calves, these are actually your gods. You should worship them. There's a bazillion applications to this about like <laughs> deception and false teaching and false prophecy and things like that. But anyway, verse 31, Jeroboam also made shrines on the high places. He made priests from the ranks of the people who were not Levites. So not only did he make false gods, he made false preachers and priests, and he created a whole new religious system. After, you know, they've, they've had decades of strong, faithful following of Yahweh and strength that has come out of that. Comes up with a new religious system. Uh, he made a festival in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like the festival in Judah. So he comes up with alternatives to everything that's going on in Judah. So in Judah, there is a temple that was commissioned and sanctioned by Yahweh, built under Solomon's reign. There are priests who are from a specific tribe called Levi. They're, they're, they're Levitical or Levite priests. Um, there's a bunch of regulations to when you worship and how you worship under that Old Testament, Old Covenant law. And so um, he, he creates imposters or like um, counterparts to all of those things, including he, has, he comes up with his own festival to like counter the festival. So like they would have a festival in Jerusalem, and he was afraid all my people will go down to that festival, so I better have a festival here. So he offered sacrifices on the altar. He made this offering in Bethel to sacrifice to the calves he had made. He also stationed the priests in Bethel for the high places he had made. He offered sacrifices on the altar he had set up in Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month. He chose this month on his own. He made a festival for the Israelites, offered sacrifices on the altar, and burned incense. It's just crazy. He comes up with this whole religion and like a religious system, and people obey it and follow it. Okay, now... First Kings chapter 13, enter the character of the story that we want to look at, the guy that's going to teach us a lot. A man of God came, however, from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord while Jeroboam was standing beside the altar to burn incense. So this prophet comes up from Judah, the, the true center of worship, um, and he comes up to Bethel to where one of these shrines, one of these false shrines with these calves are and all these fake priests and this dude who's king of the northern kingdom jeroboam he's standing there man of god cried out against the altar by the word of the lord altar altar this is what yahweh says a son will be born to the house of david named josiah and he will sacrifice on you the priests of the high place high places who are burning incense on you human bones will be burned on you so so this prophet what prophets do is they take the word of the lord and they give it to the people and a lot of times that has to do with a like prediction of future events, and that's what he does here. He predicts something that later comes true. Uh, he gave a sign that day. He said, this is the sign that the Lord has spoken. The altar will now be ripped apart. 
and the ashes that are on it will be poured out. When the king heard the message that the man of God cried out against the altar of Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Arrest him. But the hand he stretched out against him withered, and he could not pull it back to himself. The altar was ripped apart, and the ashes poured from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Crazy story. All right, Paul's. So prophet gets there to this false shrine with these fake priests of this king who's you know, got these, this golden calf and he speaks out against him. And then the, the, the prophet speaks out against the king. Then the king gets mad and he basically goes after the prophet. And when he does, God strikes him. It says he's, he, um, it says he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, arrest him like that. And then when he stretched his hand out, his hand withered. I don't know what that looks like, but in my imagination, I picture like, he ended up with a teeny little hand, you know, like it withered really small, like crazy, like withered up, went away. And so in, in that, like in that moment, in that scene, um, I picture the dude, you know, he pulls his hand back and I picture the guy standing there with this teeny little withered hand. That's it's kind of actually in my brain. Maybe I'm distorted and demented, but I picture a teeny tiny, like little baby doll sized hand. And like it literally withered. But maybe it didn't do that. Maybe it just atrophied, you know. But at any rate, it freaked this guy Jeroboam out. It freaked him completely out. And so his hand withdraws. And when he draws his hand up, um, he freaks out. And then he says, uh, verse 6, The king responded to the man of God, Plead for the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me so that my hand may be restored to me. So now he asks, the, he recognizes that the prophet of God is the prophet of God. And so he asks him to pray to God, please pray to Yahweh, you know, and, and have, ask him to fix my hand back. So the man pleads for the favor of the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it had been at first. So the guy prays and says, Lord, will you please heal the king's hand? And his hand is healed. It's a crazy story. Then the king declared to the man of God, come home with me, refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. So the king's like, uh, I want you to be on my team. All of a sudden, he's thinking, this guy needs to be on my team. Uh, but the man of God replied, if you were to give me half of your house, I still wouldn't go with you. And I wouldn't eat food or drink water in this place. For this is what I was commanded by the word of the Lord. You must not eat food or drink water or go back the way you came. So he went another way. He did not go back the way he had come home to Bethel. So uh, we we get some insight here into the story. What happens is, uh, let, me, let me see, let me read that again. So... Um, he says, I'm not going to stay. He tells the king, I'm not going to stay no matter what you offer me. And then he, and he tells us why. The Lord had actually told him, go speak this prophecy, but don't eat. So he's sort of like fasting, and he's just focused on the mission. And God told him, don't eat, don't drink, don't do anything. Turn around and come home. And I don't, like, we have to be silent when Scripture's silent. And I haven't studied this at, in depth yet. I want to. I'm planning a message. I'm going to plan to do a talk on this text at an upcoming men upcoming men's conference we're having a be strong conference at Snowbird. So I'm looking forward to di- drilling into this, but from what I can see in the text here it doesn't say why God told him that. So my speculation would be man stay focused on the mission, go execute the mission, turn around and get home. Don't get sidetracked, don't get distracted. Too much opportunity for you to 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 be pulled into this evil king's um like care or grasp or whatever. So a certain old prophet was living in Bethel. His son came and told him all the deeds that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. His sons also told their father 
the words that he had spoken to the king. So you've got a king who's evil and wicked, and he's created his own sort of fake religion, and then he's also established his own priests, and now we see he has some sort of prophets. It says a certain old prophet. So I'm wondering like, if that prophet had been faithful, maybe under Solomon, and now he has, in his old age, he's gotten comfortable, and with this new king, he's compromised. You know, like this prophet should have already spoken. If he's a prophet of God, he should have already spoken out against the king, making the golden calves, making the shrines, making the new priests and all that stuff, but he hadn't done it. He's been quiet. And um, so he sends his son. Uh, he hears about what this this true prophet has done, and he sends his sons. Uh, their father asked them, which way did he go? His sons had seen the, the way taken by the man of God who had come from Judah. He said to his son, saddle a donkey for me. So anyway, I'm going to paraphrase. He sends his son after this this prophet, and they get to him. So he he tells the prophet, hey, come stay with me. And the prophet's like, no, man, I can't. I got to go back. Like God told me, go speak this word against the king, and then turn around and go home. Don't stay, Don't eat a meal. Don't spend the night. Don't like You got to get home. Just obey me, and don't even go back the same way you came. God had given him really specific instructions. And what happens at this point is this this prophet, this old man, he deceives, he tricks him into staying. He totally tricks this guy into staying. In fact, he said to him, I'm a prophet like you. An angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord and said, bring him back with you and your house so that he may eat food and drink water. The old prophet deceived him and the man of God went back with him, ate food in his house and drank water. It reminds me of... When uh, Paul, if you read the book of Galatians, in the beginning of Galatians, Paul is speaking and he says, even if an angel from heaven comes and and speaks a word that's contrary to the gospel, let him be accursed. The word is anathema, and it means like cut off, cursed, and judged by God. So here, um, man, even though this guy was a prophet, this old man, he was speaking a false word. Like he lied. He deceived this younger prophet. And the, but the young man fell for it. And while they were, and it says, while they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And the prophet cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says, because you rebelled against the Lord's command and did not keep the command that the Lord, your God commanded you, but you went back and ate food and drank water in the place that he said to you, do not eat food and do not drink water. Your corpse will never reach the grave of your fathers. So now the old prophet speaks a truthful prophecy, like prophecy of a truthful prediction and he says, hey, man, I know you're sitting here at my table eating, but you disobeyed God and come in here, and God just told me you're going to die. You'll never make it home. It was crazy. So after he had eaten food, this is First Kings 13, 21. So after he had eaten food and after he had drunk, the old prophet saddled the donkey for the prophet he had brought back. When he left, a lion attacked him along the way and killed him. His corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey was standing beside it. The lion was standing beside the corpse, too. There were men passing by who saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing beside it, and they went and spoke about it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his way heard about it, he said, He is the man of God who disobeyed the Lord's command. The Lord has given him to the lion, and it has mauled and killed him. And according to the word of the Lord, that he spoke to him. So, the <laughs> crazy story, right? Crazy. The guy is faithful. He goes and speaks with, I mean, you talk about courage. He speaks against this king who is who, who is capable of killing him, right? This king, uh, Jeroboam, 
could have could have done whatever he wanted to to punish this old prophet. I mean, this uh, this this prophet, not the old prophet, but the younger prophet could. And but the man goes, he leaves from Judah, where he is faithfully serving the Lord. He goes up and he speaks against the king. He even has this intense confrontation with the king. The man's hand withers up, and then he prays on the man's behalf, and his hand comes back to normal. And just crazy. It's a it's a crazy moment, a crazy scene to see God move in such a visible way. And then he turns around and it's like, what in the world? He got deceived. So, but he got deceived by a very crafty deception. This guy was a man. So I don't, again, haven't studied this. Don't want to read too much into it, but man, he just was so close to, to carrying out the word of the Lord and the commands of the Lord for him, for him. And, and then, and then he fell. And it just, so, so we use that story a lot. Because like in the in the story of Solomon, you see late in life, he seems to lose focus. He seems to lose initiative, and he falls away from the Lord. This guy literally just just disobeys for a moment. So we use the – I challenge our, our folks around here with, hey, take a day off, get mauled by a lion. Take a day off, man, and, and, and like there's – you can't take days off. And I, and I don't want to create like this rules-based legalism, like you have to follow certain rules to be a Christian every single day. I'm not saying that. I'm saying like your relationship with the Lord is so critical. How you view God is so critical. You can't take breaks from that. It, it's, it's a relationship. It's not just, God is not just an object of our worship. He is our Lord. He's the lover of our souls. He's drawn us into relationship, and I've got to stay tuned to that relationship and focused on it. And I can't afford to take any days off. Writer of Hebrews says, "Be careful lest you drift away." And I and I think it's good to be reminded that it's easy to drift away. No one ever drifts toward God. No one ever drifts toward holiness and faithfulness. That is a constant fight. You got to be constantly aware. But if you take your focus and your and, and you stop fixing your eyes on Jesus, you'll so quickly drift away, and it can happen so fast. And so. No days off. Take a day off. Get mauled by a lion. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.